or our or what vision is about. I want to give you something I believe that is really needful if we're truly going to enact the vision that God has uh, has given us as a as a church. Um, we'll, we'll take the time probably uh, towards the end of the year to to preach a little bit on the theme. Um, but Galatians chapter four, and I notice here verse sixteen, and he he tells them some things. He says, "Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth?" and and Paul was about to tell them something. Uh, he had just spoken to them about some issues that they were having as a, as a group of believers. And then he says here in verse 17, They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them. Notice what he says in verse 18, But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. And not only when I am present with you, my little children of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. And here we see that the Apostle Paul was, was speaking to this, uh, this church or the, these group of people in Galatia, and, and he was speaking to them about the fact that they had been zealously affected, but not for the good thing. It was the, the, there were those who had crept into the, the, the church about, uh, about certain things that were, were causing them to move away from the good thing that they were on, and that was the gospel. But I want you to note those, the, that word there, zealously, and, and really what we can say about that word is it's, it's talking about passion. It's talking about passion, and he's bringing out something about passion, and about that, it, passion is contagious. You know, there's just something about people who are passionate that, that really sweeps us up and at times takes us for a ride. They, you see someone that's passionate about something, we sometimes find ourselves cheering along with them and we don't even know why. But they're just passionate. And you know, often regarding Christianity, the thing that's been most convincing about the truth of our faith it's really the passion that we as His followers uh, have and the things that are of His. Uh, you recall that it, it isn't really uh, anything else but, but just the, the change of manner that people have that at times convinces people of the truth. And, and in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, uh, speaking about Peter and John, they noted the boldness of theirs and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. So they looked at these guys who really were fishermen and really just plain, average, in, not, not, not in the world's estimation of anything. They were, the Bible describes them unlearned and ignorant men. And yet the people around them, in their observation, they marveled and they were this. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And church, listen, can I say to you tonight that, that as we're with Christ, as we spend time with Him, as we spend our focus on who He is and what He's all about, then there will be a difference about us. There will be a difference in the way we are perceived by those around us. And, and, and we see all throughout history, not only there as we start with the disciples, we, we look at different parts of history. We can 
look at around uh, our world today, you, you see the missionaries that were, 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 we know and we observe, and you see their passion, enough passion, that they would leave their home country and go to another field and endure uh, different difficulties and endure some trials and endure some, uh, some testing and endure some of those things that we read about and we sometimes feel sorry about uh, for them. And yet we see that the reason they were there was because they were passionate. They were passionate. They were zealous about the right things. You look, at, you look through history, you look at things like the, book of, uh, the Fox's Book of Martyrs. And you see how some of them even right there dying at the stake because they were zealous for their God, went through it and, and didn't recant, didn't turn back away from their God. They went right through even though it cost their lives. So, so here in this scripture, Paul is exhorting the Galatians about being, being zealously affected about good things. He, he noted that they had been zealously affected about wrong things, but now he challenges them to be affected by the passion that he and his fellows have shown via their example. And what authentic Christianity entails is really an authentic passion for Christ and His work. Galatians is sometimes called the Emancipation Proclamation of Paul. He declares Christians free from the slavery of the law, and Paul nails the banner of liberty to the gospel. And Paul's work in Galatia, really at this juncture, had come under attack. The Judaizers, those who attempted to preach that Gentiles must be circumcised and obey the law to gain salvation, they'd also attacked Paul's apostleship since he was not one of the original twelve. So after he left the churches, these Judaizers came from Jerusalem teaching that Gentiles had to be under the law of Moses and how erroneous that is. And so the Galatian people received their message as readily as Paul's and what happened was an epidemic of circumcision erupted. And so this was what Paul was referring to as being zealously affected but not well. Seemingly their passion in error was outpointing the Galatians' passion about right and right doctrine. And so what we learn here is, is just a lesson about passion and how it's contagious. See, we're going to examine passion, that, that thing that comes out of you that indicates what truly matters to you. See, our passion as believers needs to be evident if we are truly to carry out the vision that God has for us. You know, we live in a time where, unfortunately, many Christians are not passionate. They're apathetic about the things of God. And sadly, we need an exhortation tonight as we look to the things of, of next year and look to to uh, move forward in certain areas as, as believers and as a church. You know, what that's going to take it isn't some uh, bunch of uh, uh, Christians who'll just sit there and be apathetic to the things of God. It's going to take some Christians who'll be zealously affected about good things. Who'll be passionate about the right things. Who'll take some time and, 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 and not just uh, look around as if there's nothing to do, but look around at what there is to do and what must be done still in our day. And so there needs to be some passionate Christians who need to be uh, just zealously affecting others. And, and really, as we think about that, the, the first thing I want to bring out is this. Passion can persuade. Passion can persuade. 
See, the, 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 the fact is they zealously affected them. And what was happening, there was a warning about, but, but really also an observation here by Paul. These believers had been well on their way to following Christ, but there were those whose passions had persuaded them off the right path. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, notice there, he says, O foolish Galatians. And notice this, it wasn't a what, it was who. Who hath bewitched you? Who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. He's saying, who bewitched you so that you would get off the path that I've taught you of, of believing in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation and, and not fooling around with what was in the law and the fulfillment of law in Christ. And he's saying, who bewitched you? There were those who zealously affected them. It was a who. And what Paul was worried about was really their lack of passionate response. Their, their response to that thing and their, their response to that which was detrimental and it persuaded them away and it caused them to abandon right doctrine. And, and we, he was worried that, you know, the, the thing that they had so quickly and so miraculously in God's enabling had taken on the, the work of God, the salvation given them and the path they were to follow was now being drawn away, being persuaded away by wrong. But those who were passionate about it. And I just believe that as we think about, as we think about what we ought to do for Christ, we ought to take great ownership, but we ought to show some passion about the things of God. You know, we live in a day where, where listen, many people have many different passions. You know, we, we, have, we have different passion projects and we have different um, things that, that we're passionate about. And, and all of us here, has, we all have a capacity to be passionate people, don't we? We all have that. And, and there, yet we see in, in, at times in Christianity, sometimes an anemic, an anemic way in which Christians are living their lives. You know, you go to the, to the shop sometimes, and sometimes they have these stalls that, you know, they have these items that you've never seen before, and, uh, uh, and yet you, they, they sell it like it's this miracle thing, right? And, you know, sometimes, sometimes beyond the, the science of it and all of that, sometimes the thing that convinces us about that is that person just believes in that so much. They're just passionate about it. They, they can tell you all of the facts and the figures and all of that. And, and so as a salesperson you tend to be more inclined to listen at least and consider what that person is saying because they're passionate about it. You just can't help it. They just got to talk about it. And, and we're more likely to go to someone like that than someone who's just sort of sitting there and, you know, doesn't get excited about anything that they're talking about. And yet, so often when a, the world is looking for a bright example of someone whose life was made different for the cause of, uh, because of Christ, the world is looking around for a passionate Christian to be someone that they look to as someone that's different. And yet what passion does is it persuades. And, and really as we observe the Scripture here, 
We see that the Galatians were persuaded by passion, firstly for bad. They zealously affect you, but not well. And here's the thing, unfortunately, we can be guilty of being outpassioned by people with wrong doctrine. You know why there are droves of millennials who are not even considering Christianity as a valid faith? Because they're seeing all around the world different groups, Hindus and Buddhists and and, and Islam and all and, and, and different areas there that they just seem to be more passionate about their cause than the, the very believers who claim to have the truth. How, 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 uh, what an indictment on us as this 21st century generation of Christians that those who are in error, those who are preached a, a, a false religion and one that is so harmful and detrimental to the soul of mankind that we would look out there and they would seem to be more sacrificial about their faith than we are about our faith. And sometimes we wonder why we're losing the next generation, why we're losing droves of people from our churches. Where's the life? Where's the passion, church? And I'm saying, I'm saying tonight that passion can persuade. And here we saw that it persuaded firstly for bad. And, and, you know, you have these Catholics and even sometimes Charismatics who seem just so much more excited about their Sunday than those who claim to have the right Bible, to have the right Savior, to have the right doctrine. And, and we don't have to copy them in, in their outlandish ways, but at least show some passion about the things that you say you believe in. See, sometimes we don't persuade because really in the way we're, we're living there are those who outpassion us about their things. Sometimes the lost are more faithful to their local pub than the Christian is to their local church. And unfortunately, as you look around the world, and, and I, I can't recall now, but the, the story came to mind just then about someone who was talking about uh, a, a friend uh, who was in the ministry who just got bitter at God and left the ministry and... and the sad reality was this man who was a, formerly a pastor was now a bartender. And somehow they, these two friends crossed paths and so they spoke and he said, hey, you know, how are you? What, what's been happening? And he said, I'm a bartender now. now. And, you know, he, he said, well, do you regret it? And, you know, this, pa this former pastor said, you know, I don't. He goes, you know, I have patrons. I never have to contact to come to their scheduled time to go to the pub. I never have to follow them up. I never have to, and I just remembered it was Pastor Lloyd, wasn't it? He was talking about this thing, I think. And he's, if you watch, he's watching this, he'll correct me later. But, you know, there's, there's, there's those that, sadly, the world sometimes is a better example of passion than we are. You know, sometimes we see out there droves and droves of people who who'll pay to get into a stadium and support their team. And, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with sport per se, but the sad reality is there are some people who are more faithful to their sport team than the average Christian is. And you know what that says? That, really, that's a passion for, for those things that are just temporal. And unfortunately, we're being outpassioned by the world. We're being outpassioned for bad. We're being outpassioned for those things. And, and there are Christians who are 
who, who would just have a snide remark about the activities of the church, how, oh, there's another thing, oh, there's another thing, but, and they, they wouldn't schedule, and they won't take the time, but in the same token, they'll, they'll be willing to take their child to this extracurricular activity, and that extracurricular activity, and they're just going about. And you know what that is? It's a bad example. And what it is, you're, you're being passionate, but not well. You're, you're, you're persuading with your passion, but not well. And our lack of passion for our Lord, sometimes our lack of passion for our church and His work can at times be detrimental, detrimental for persuading others about what we claim to believe. And a passion for things that are lesser in priority can also be a passion for bad. You know, all around our world, we see, sadly, Christians who have more passion for sports. They'll have more passion for the things of this world. They'll look around and eternity has no bearing on the decisions that they make. It's just for now. And we wonder why we can't persuade. Because it's, we're persuading for the bad. And so they have, the passion persuades for the bad, but we know here, says, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. So correspondent to that, in opposite to that, it's not that our passion for good doesn't persuade. It does also. We can passionately live for Christ, and that can be the persuasion that someone needs to be able to just come alongside. And, and that's really what Paul was worried about. There was an epidemic there that was happening of those who were questioning the, the, the validity of the gospel that Paul taught them. And listen, we can, we can, we can, uh, we can passionately, uh, per, we can persuade with our passion for good. In verse 18, he says, it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. You know, we ought to be passionate about our Bible. We ought to be passionate about our Lord. We ought to be passionate about our church. We ought to be passionate about the vision for which God has given us. We ought to speak and shout for joy about the things of God. We ought to be moved and we ought to give priority to the things of God. You know why? Because passion, passion persuades. I love the, the, the heart of Jehonadab in 2 Kings 10.16. And he said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they made him ride in his chariot. He, he had this great zeal for the Lord. And he says, come with me. And there are those who, I pray God would just light a fire under you tonight. And just would recognize that, you know, sometimes we've misappropriated our passion. And, and you know, sometimes we ought to look at that and really, really look to persuade for good. I love what Brother Fisher told me once. He says, your passion will change your schedule. And what our children watch us do, they will do. You know, I, I've often said this, and, and again, I don't want to lift up my parents, but the, one of the great reasons why I just love church is because they love church. They loved the work of God. And, and I know they hate it when I uh, lift them up here. It's, it's the Lord working in them. We know that, right, church? But, but as the Lord worked in their lives... They didn't hide it. They, they didn't say, oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to push them. I don't want to do that. No, listen, their passion pushed us. 
and pushed me. And I understood that this was an important thing. And so they zealously affected me for a good thing. And I pray, I pray that that would be the case for my children. And, and I love this morning as, as they, they looked and it was a Sunday and we said, hey, we've got to get ready for church. There was a cheer. There wasn't a groan. There, there was no, oh. There was, yes, church. They didn't go, again. No, they were zealously affected for a good thing. And because they see it in their grandparents' lives, they see it in, in, in the way we ought to live. And again, it's, it's God working in us. But, but I wonder if our passion persuades for bad or for good. Really, the, the question is, where does your passion lie? Because where your passion lies, that will persuade. And so passion can persuade. Secondly, passion can project. Notice what he says there. In verse 17, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them. So he's saying that if they don't affect you, they're going to exclude you because they don't want you to affect them. So, so he, he understood the battle really lied here in their zealousness, in their passion. And what, what passion does is it projects or communicates to the world what matters most to us? In what way we are persuaded? You ever spoken to someone who only can talk about themselves? You know, you're, you're having a conversation and they just masterfully, because they can't help it, turn the conversation about themselves. And what that tells you is they love themselves. They really love themselves. In fact, if they could, they would marry themselves. In fact, they believe every word that everyone says about them because it's all about them. And what they do, they can't help it, and what they do is they communicate to the world how they're persuaded. They're convicted. See, our passion projects to the world what we truly love and care about. And we understand passion is seen in different ways. But we understand that you don't have to be the the type that needs to holler and shout and all of that to be passionate. But really it comes down to this. How do we see our passion? How is it projected? It's by our actions. It's by our actions. How, how, we, how we enact those things that we say we believe in. And, and you know, our, firstly, really, our passion can most project when we act based on what is required, not popular. And here I want you to know, look at Numbers chapter 25, and we're only going to turn to two other passages of Scripture. Numbers 25, and notice verse 1. And here was a, really a bad situation in the life of the people of God here in the Old Testament. In verse 1, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. That's awful. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. 
And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one his men that were joined unto Baal-peel. And notice what happens there because of this. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses. And in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So they had already been corrected. And yet this brazen sin, this brazen wickedness was brought before the Lord and before the people. And notice what happens. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both them through. The man of Israel and the woman through her belly. Notice what the Bible then says. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. And those that died in the plague were twenty and four thousand. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, and, and he, here his action caused the, the hand of God to turn away. He says, Phineas the son of Eleazar, verse 11. The son of Aaron the priest hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel while he was zealous, passionate for my sake among them that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. You know, you look at the concern that we, and we ought to be concerned about our nation. We ought to be concerned about our state government voting in abortion. We ought to be concerned about, uh, about marriage equality and really the homosexual agenda of our day. All of those are, are, are wickedness before the, the sight of God. But, but where are the Christians who will stand up and be a Phineas in our day? Who will just show some zealousness because that's what's required in our day. Where are they? Where are those of you who, who, who were so bothered that you at least sent an email to your local member about your opposition to it? You at least got down on your knees and for days and for weeks and for months, you prayed, God, have mercy on our nation. Where are those of us who will show passion because it's required? It's a required action. We see it's projected there in that action and we need men and women to stand in our time who will do what is unpopular to the world. Your commitment to Christ will make you unpopular with those around you, but it's required. If you're going to see those whom God has called you to influence, do accordingly. See, Jesus did what was required. Jesus did what was required on the cross. And, and we see in Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible tells us He endured the cross for the joy that was set before Him. You know, Jesus showed some zeal. He was passionate about the mission of God for His life. And that was the saving of your soul here tonight. And can I say to you that, that, that we have a God who is a zealous God, who is passionate about right, who is passionate about what is required. And, and here we live in a time where our actions need to be driven by our passion for the Lord. But then notice John chapter 2. Look at John chapter 2. And notice with me verses 12 to 17. So he had just performed the miracle in Cana. 
In verse 12, after this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changes of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, this is Jesus, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changes' money and overthrew the tables, and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house an house of merchandise. And the disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. He was consumed by keeping the house of God pure. He later on says, My house shall be a house of prayer, not, not a house of merchandise. And he understood there that that the Lord Jesus, he, he, in his he calculating way, he needed to cleanse out the temple. But you know what drove him? It was his zeal for the house of God. And here we see righteous actions. Jesus' zeal for the house of God was, was, was seen in this action. And the, the people there, they were mistreating the house of God. They were using it for their own purpose. They were using it for their own gain. And whilst we understand that this was the temple, we understand that, that, that God's the Lord Jesus' priority, His actions spoke about His passion to ensure that worship to God was done right. And Jesus made it known what was right in the face of really what was culturally accepted. And in and, and that culture then, all of these money changes, all of these, it was just part and parcel of the temple now. It had, it had eroded to that. And, and he made it known what was right. And we need really not to base our decisions on culture, but rather on what is right in God's sight. And your passion will be displayed when culture dictates to you what they will accept, and you won't stand for it. I think about another example, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who at that point, they were, uh, they were taken captive into Babylon. And there they were, they were told, all of them were told that, that when the music played, they were to all bow down to the idol or else face the burning, fiery furnace. And yet we know the story there in the book of Daniel that these three Hebrew boys, they wouldn't bend, they wouldn't bow. And they stood their ground, and yet they faced the consequence of that. They were there right in front of the fire, right there thrust into that furnace. And yet we see that the, the Lord Jesus came amongst them. But the point was this, they wouldn't bow because they were zealous. They were zealous for the right things to do. And so your passion for what's right is no more needed than today, church. We live in a time where, where, where truth has been eroded to, to a, a ridicule. And church, listen, we need to get to a point where, where our passion shows. Our passion ought to come out. And, and I know maybe you're thinking, well, Pastor, my personality is that I'm introverted. Well, that doesn't stop you from being passionate about the right things. That doesn't stop you from speaking up at times when it's needful. And so we see that your passion can project, can communicate. But then lastly, look at verse 18. Go back to Galatians chapter 4 and we'll be done. 
And notice verse 18. Notice what he says, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. See, what he was saying to them was, when I was with you, you were zealous about the good things. In fact, earlier on in verse 12, brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. You have not injured me at all. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first, and my temptation which was in my flesh you despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. So he's saying you received me as one that was a messenger of Christ. Where is then the blessedness you spake of? He says, for I bear record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eye and have given them to me. That's how passionate they were. While he was there, they showed great zeal for the things that were right, but here we see that their passion dissipated. Their passion was no longer, and what Paul was trying to help them see was, I've set a pattern for you. He said, I've set a pattern that, that you ought to follow, and you, when I was with you, I set that example, and yet here we are, you're, you're neglecting that. In another part of the Bible and to another congregation, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter, one, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And he's saying, you know, my passion for Christ, you, your, your passion was as if you would pluck out your own eye for me. And yet now I'm not present with you. And, and he says he wants to be with them. Paul's passion was people. Paul's passion was the, 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 the work of God moving forward. He was always concerned when there were those who were moving backward in their faith. And what he was getting to was, you're my little children. I'm patterning something that you're meant to follow. And here's the third thing I want to say. Not only does, does passion persuade, it not only projects, but also lastly, passion can pattern. It can pattern. And, and, and really, what we make our daily passion, our children will make their daily habit. If we would just show some passion to those who are following, those who will come before us. And here we see that, that Apostle Paul was alluding to a needful example. It was needful for them to recall Paul's example. His example that even in his infirmity, his weakness, he was willing to preach the gospel to them. He was willing to go over there and minister to them. It's, it's needful for those Galatians to recall Paul's example of a passionate Christian. And it's needful for us to see the example of others who amongst us and in the past perhaps were passionate for the things that are right for the things that are good for the work of God, for the things that, that matter to God, those things of eternity. And, and perhaps you have a mentor, perhaps you have someone that you look to, and perhaps you look to them to, to see their example. And that's not a bad thing as they follow Christ. That's the, that's the condition. It's not, a good, it's not a bad thing for us to recognize that, that people who were in our past what were great examples, a needful example for us to remember. You know, as, as we think about, uh, as, as a church going into 2020 with, 
some vision for the work of God and, and some more things that we'll discuss in the next couple of weeks, we ought to look at that. And, and yes, there might be some things there that will require some sacrifice, that will require some decisions, that will require some things that you'll be uncomfortable with, that will require some things that, that perhaps you, you will be challenged about. But listen, there was a generation, and there are, there's still that generation, even in our church today, who did the very same thing, who when there was a time to stand up and put together a sacrifice for the Lord, to offer something so that we could purchase this property, then they took the stand. They were passionate about the work of God. And this church mattered to them enough that they took out loans, that they, they put some money into this place that you're sitting in right now, comfortable with this air conditioning, where your children are going up. And yet we go, well, it's not our bill. Well, they made that decision. Listen, you better be glad they made that decision. Because now you sit and now you and your family are being ministered to and maybe some of your friends and loved ones have been saved because of the sacrifice of some who were in the past willing because of their passion. Listen, next generation. Don't take it for granted what you, we have here. Don't take it for granted that, that we just have this place and we get to minister here and we have all of these things that God has allowed Where's your passion? Where's your passion, young men? You just sit there sometimes and you wander off in your mind. Where's your passion for God? Where are those that will follow? We look around and we applaud. We look around and we're glad. But listen, one day, I'll tell you what, if the Lord tarries, it will be your turn. And you better show some passion now. Or else you'll never show passion. You better get some things right with God. You better just fess up now. You better get clean before God. You better get your priorities straight. You better get some passion in your bones for the things of God because there's still a work to do. And there's still a future to look to. But we need you to stop playing around and wake up tonight and look to the work I pray that God lights a fire in your soul tonight for the things of God. There are some who just are playing around with their Christianity and yet we look to needful examples and without them, you would not be here. Without them, we just sort of just, we don't know what, the, what our lives would look like. But we have this needful example we have those who in the past, they, they won souls, they discipled, they, they raised their family, they, they set priority to, to be in the house of God, to be here for prayer meeting, for, for Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They, they went whenever the doors were open. There was a special meeting. Whether they liked the preacher or not, they came. They rented halls. They bought buses. They, they went street to street. They went to your home. They sat in your lounge room. And maybe that wasn't your, maybe that wasn't your, your remembrance. Maybe there were things because man can let us down, can't they? 
But you know who never lets us down? Who's our primary example? Wake up tonight, it's the Lord Jesus. He'll never let, let you down. So stop using that excuse. Yes, man can fail us. Yes, we'll get disappointed. Yes, the previous generation, as much as they did, they weren't perfect. But listen, we have one who is perfect. Listen, we have one who, will, who, who did what was required. We have one who, through passion, laid his life down for you and I. And we have the ultimate example. But, but we see here that, that not only was there a needful example, lastly, there was a neglected imperative. See, the, the reason they needed reminding was because it was being neglected. Their passion was being neglected. And, you know, sometimes our passions for the Lord wanes, doesn't it? I'll be the first to admit at times. At times when I'm not walking with God like I should. At times when I'm not in His Word, like I'm not, the times when I'm, I, I've been distracted, I've put my passions elsewhere. Because really, your passion never really dissipates, it just gets placed elsewhere. And we see that. And sometimes we need a reminding because what happened was it was a neglected imperative. A couple of scriptures here, Titus 3.8, this is a faithful saying. And these things, I will that thou affirm constantly, notice that, so Paul writing to his son in the faith, Titus, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. And notice what he says, affirm them constantly. There's got to be passionate about it. The Bible tells us that we are zealous for good works, passionate about it. And so there's a, there's a waning of that, and he's saying, affirm them constantly. You know why? You know why we have ministry market every year? Because sometimes our passion wanes. And we need to affirm constantly about the need to serve God. Right? That's why we hear messages about it. Because at times God will touch the, the preacher's heart about the need for us to serve again. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5-6, to 6, here Paul is admonishing his other son in the faith, Timothy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in thee also. Notice what he says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of the hands. He's saying to, to Timothy, listen, you've got a gifting that you need to stir up again. And listen, sometimes we've got passions that we wane because of uh, discouragement or, or lack of result or or, or just time has passed by and we've not revisited that decision. We've not revisited those things that God has spoken to our heart about. And, and at those times, you need to stir up to remembrance that gift that you have. Stir it up. Stop being so dead. It's not, that's not just the only choice. You need to wake up tonight. You need to get some life back into you. Stir it up. And then he says in Revelations 3.2, says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. And really what God is trying to get our thought around is this. Sometimes there's a neglect of this imperative to be passionate. But we need to stir it up. We need to maintain it and we need to strengthen it. You know how I do that is I get around other people who are passionate for the Lord. You know why I have the friends that I have? 
Because they love God. Because they're passionate. Because there's things that they, they're, they're, they're just looking to God to, to, to enable them to just take a step further, take a step further. You know what that is? It's passion. And I wonder if we're passionate tonight. I wonder as we go about, you know, do we just go through the motion of it and go, ah, well, it's just pastor being sensationalist again. I hope that you recognize that maybe in your own heart you have some coldness and you need to just get some revival fires in your heart tonight. That, that before we even think about vision and, and really go through and think about next year and what we can do for the Lord, that, that we'd at least be zealously affected about this good thing. That we'd, we'd just have some passion. I, I hope that we have some dads who are passionate tonight. I hope we have some dads who will lead their homes with passion, who will walk with God with passion, who, who it will matter to them. It will it'll, it'll be strange to them if their children look at them and they're not, they're not excited for the things of God. They're not talking about it anymore. I hope that we have some mothers here who all their heart, they just want to serve God and all their heart, they just want to encourage that husband who has to work that job and who still is faithful to church and won't be a hindrance and will show the same passion. I hope so we have some young people tonight who will see the zeal of some others who will wake up to the reality that one day it will be their turn and if not now, when? Can we just stand up tonight and can we just say to God, Lord, count me in those that will be... Uh, passionate about the things of you. Count me. We have some children tonight who won't just turn up to church, who will understand that they get to go to church, they, they get to serve God, they get to do those things because some others were zealous, were passionate. And most of all, they have a God who was passionate enough that, that He willingly suffered what He suffered he willingly laid down his life. He willingly looked and he saw the joy that was set before him. And he endured the cross. I wonder if we're here tonight and we just say, Lord, help me to be zealous and help me to be contagious. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord God. Lord, We just are mindful that, Lord, there's just such a great deal of things still to be done for you. And, Lord, you've tarried your coming because there's still your plan for us to just continue to grow and work and labor. And yet, Lord, we live in a day of great distraction. We live in a day where our passion for other things can take away our passion that we ought to have for you and the things of you. I pray, dear God, that you would help us tonight, Lord, to just recognize the condition of our own heart. I pray tonight that, Lord, we would, as we've gathered, Lord, have a great passion and zeal. Lord, for the things of you and for who you are. Father, I, I'm just a vessel tonight. I just want to ask that your word would be lifted up. Lord, you challenged 
three or four of those believers called in Galatia to be zealously affecting others. And Lord, their passion needed to be stirred up again. And Lord, I pray that our passion for you would be stirred up tonight. I pray that you'd move us, Lord. I pray that, Lord, before we end this year, Lord, and as we look to the things that you would have us to do, that, Lord, you'd, you'd see a church that's still passionate, still fiery about the things of you. And, Lord, you'd see in my own heart, Lord, a fire that just is, is, is a life that is consumed by the things of you, dear God. And, Lord, I pray that you'd lay us, uh, lay, help us to lay aside those passions that so quickly rob us of the passion that we ought to have for you. Heads bowed, eyes closed, and the piano can